all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 497. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that Sarah put in the queue. And I know we have a question on this, but I'm I'm super interested to see where this show and the science takes us because it's almost like we're revisiting some topics from the past that either there's updated science on or maybe we had a diet culture view lens on some things. Yeah. And and we're shaking the boat. (laughs) I was actually, when Gabby's question came in, I was sort of having a look back at when the last time we really like dedicated a whole show to movement rather than just you know, talking about, oh, yes. And in this case, of course, we want to have a healthy lifestyle, which includes getting enough sleep and managing stress and living an active lifestyle. Like, I feel like we breeze past the details on lifestyle so often because we've covered it on so many shows. But I was looking back at like the last time we we really covered, uh, you know, exercise and activity and movement in a lot of detail was our second year of podcasting. So it has been a minute. And I feel like you and I have evolved so much in terms of our approach to health. I think we've become a lot more balanced in, in how we approach health now compared to being maybe a little zealous <laughs> in ye olden days of nearly eight years ago. You know, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what's funny is I remember when we were on book tour, you would actually describe how you became passionate about it. I don't even think you used a word other than zealot, like it it, even more extreme word that's not coming to me. But I just remember so vividly every time that you would tell people like, and I would tell everybody at the bus stop and at the grocery Mm -hmm. store and like, (laughs) and I knew I had a problem when I was trying to tell the dental hygienist while she was cleaning my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know, it's really important. (laughs) Yeah. So we were were drinking the proverbial Kool-Aid. All the Kool-Aid. And I, I think that, you know, the strength of the way we do the podcast now is this balanced approach that's sort of hard earned because I think, you know, we've had a very complex health journey, both like physically and emotionally and mentally over the last decade. And I think getting to this place of really valuing health and also though understanding that we need to set up our lives in a way that we can maintain healthy choices for the rest of our lives when we do this sort of like all in, you know, grit our teeth type, you know, super willpower type approaches, no matter what type of healthy change we're making, we're not setting ourselves up to be successful. So I think revisiting this topic with the perspective of how much we've grown over the last, you know, eight, nine years since we last covered this topic in depth, I think is going to be really helpful. Plus, I think there's aspects of Gabby's question that we've never covered on the podcast before um, that I think is going to be like really cool because there's some like really fascinating 
new science just from the last like two, three years that I'm like really excited to share because to me, uh, the idea, this is spoiler, the idea of exercise snacks, and that's not things that you eat in order to exercise. Exercise snacks refers to like little tiny bits of exercise rather than like a workout would be a meal amount of exercise. So thinking of a snack amount of exercise, um, that, that, that there's huge benefits to these little tiny amounts of exercise. And I, to me, that's like so cool to think really what it means is like every single bit of activity we can integrate into our days counts. And I mean, that's the, the thesis of this entire podcast, but there's also lots of other cool details that we're going to get into. I remember when you first told me about this idea of exercise snacks and I totally did not get it. I thought you were talking about food that you eat while you exercise. Yeah, that is. Thank you for clarifying. It's not good branding. Let's face it. (laughs) I mean, we still have time. Do we still have time to maybe revisit how we're referring to it? Unfortunately, this is the term used in the scientific literature. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Well, why don't we, why don't we dive into that scientific literature and uh, first Gabby's question? Yes. Let me read Gabby's questions. So Gabby wrote, hello, Stacy and Dr. Sarah, longtime listener, first time submitting a question. Thank you both for this amazing podcast. These past few years, especially having you both there every week has been a lifesaver. My question is about exercise. This time of year, it is everywhere and I'm just not feeling it. How important is exercise really to our overall health? I love walking and listening to you both soapbox, of course. So I'm hoping that's enough. I just can't see myself back in group classes just yet, and I am not motivated enough to work out alone at home. Additionally, my back has been chronically sore. I assume it's from the increased time I spend sitting since we have all been home so much more these past two years. Help, Gabby. I feel Gabby. I, I think everybody... I've mentioned many times, but in case you don't know, I love water aerobics <laughs> and the water aerobics crew is the most vulnerable population. Um, I am always the youngest person at water aerobics and I also felt really uncomfortable and still do going and working out in a group setting because with masks off, even in a pool around the most vulnerable people, I just... Even if the science says it's fine, like I'm just not comfortable with it. And I also have back problems. And so it has been a challenge for me as well to figure out how I can continue to be active. And I am sitting at my desk a lot um, and find that if I use my walking desk, I end up getting like hunched over and it'll trigger my back if I use it for too long and all the blah, 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 blah. So... I love this idea that, you know, she's focused on walking and listening to us like high five Gabby, you are doing awesome things in and of itself. And I know we're going to talk more about other things that we might be able to do spurts of exercise as I will call them or as the literature calls them exercise snacks. Um, And we've talked before too on this show before we get into kind of some of the benefits and why exercise is so important. But one of the vivid memories that I have on the podcast when you were talking about exercise, Sarah, is when we were talking about the joy of just kind of being active at home, especially Mm -hmm. when you have kids, like having a dance party or being silly and just kind of like chasing the dogs or the kids often have like wrestling matches with each other, right? Like these little like spurts of actual 
physical movement um, and how someone had emailed us. I don't know if we read the the comment here on the show or not about how eye opening and helpful that was for her because when she'd heard that on the show, she thought about how previously she had had that energy to like have a dance party with her kids and she wasn't doing that and kind of unpacked the why am I not finding joy in that anymore and and revisited that idea and I think that that's an important thing also an an element of Gabby's question which is this this outside pressure of everybody else is working out that doesn't feel right to me this feels right to me what should I do kind of thing. And I use quotation marks when I said should, because I think just being aware of what feels right and getting movement and making sure that you're feeling the joy in what you're doing is so important. I agree completely. And I think that as we sort of unpack Gabby's question and kind of go through it bit by bit, I think when we come all the way around, it's going to be how valuable it is to find movement that we love. Again, getting back into that idea of setting ourselves up to make lifelong healthy changes, right? To turn something that's beneficial into our health, in, uh, something that's beneficial for our health into a lifelong habit, right? The idea that that's just part of how I live, that's something I do every day. It's something that I don't even think about because it's so ingrained and so automatic. And that is how we can really, you know, affect positive change to our health in a way that's long lasting is by looking at each aspect of something that's important for our health through the lens of how do I make this sustainable? How do I make this something that I'm going to enjoy, that I'm going to find easy to integrate into my life for the rest of my life? So we've talked about that a lot in terms of food It's been a long time since we've talked about that in terms of exercise, but I think we really, just to unpack this question, let's start at the beginning and and let's talk about why activity is so beneficial for our health and like exactly, you know, the question is how important is it really, right? That was Gabby's question. Like, let's, let's start there because I think, um, I think we kind of, we, we go, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, and exercise is important, but we don't really think about how important it is. So the World Health Organization has identified a lack of physical activity as the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality uh, and estimates that it is responsible for 3.2 million deaths every single year across the globe lack of physical activity, just living a sedentary lifestyle, which is a really big number to think about because it is something that is behavior driven. So a uh, comparable would be right. Smoking, right? Smoking is behavior driven and also, right. It's a higher risk factor than lack of physical activity clearly, but it is something that most of us have some control over compared to other types of Uh, risk factors for mortality. And getting enough exercise has been shown to decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, depression, even some cancers. Um, So across the board, being active is protective. And also, you know, sedentary behavior, sitting for long periods of time, also increases risk of all those same things, right? Heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, uh, and all-cause mortality, which is this general marker of of health and longevity. And it's 
quite a big magnitude of effect. So there are some estimates that for every hour we spend sitting in front of the TV each day, this is used in these types of studies a lot because it is a very easy way to measure sedentary time where you're sitting for a, you know, usually either a 30 minute show or an hour long show compared to measuring sitting at work is a little bit more complex because even the most desk jobs involve getting up and going to the photocopier or, you know, going to the meeting room or whatever. You're actually a little bit more up and about at most desk jobs compared to sitting and watching TV, which is why these are used for these studies. But for every hour spent in front of the TV every day is associated with an 18% increase in heart disease death risk and 11% increase in death from all causes. Um, and if we really want to get, um, really want to get uh, nervous about this. Can we just this. repeat that? Because that is frightening. Yes, it's huge. And you said it's, an it's, extra hour. So what is the, the basis is how many hours? Every so, extra hour. So, yeah. So basically, um, the a little bit of sitting is fine, right? So sitting for twenty or thirty minutes at a time, even if you're sitting for a total of eight or ten hours a day, when they're broken up like that, that's not associated with an increase of mortality. But as soon as you have an hour chunk solid that's not broken up, that's when that kicks in. So it's for every hour um, that we're not breaking up that hour of sedentary time. So the first hour of unbroken sedentary time. And that's also different from resting, right? So you should, see, you should see my face right now. It's not a happy one. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not good. Um, there was another, another study that uh, did the statistics in a different way and basically said for every hour of TV we watch, uh, as adults over the age of 25, we reduce our life expectancy by almost 22 minutes, which is crazy to think of. So yeah, so every every hour unbroken is harming our health or increasing our risk of having health issues. And what's really interesting as well is that there are studies that show that if we have really sedentary jobs, so a desk job where you really are sitting for eight hours straight all day, that we can't negate the harm of that sitting by you know going to the gym and working out for a couple hours on the way home. So it's really important to frame activity in both of these ways, right? So being active is beneficial but also being sedentary is harmful. And we can have a life where we're both sedentary and active. So we need to think of these in terms of the give and take and how we can break up sedentary time during the day in addition to how to increase activity in our day. Because that activity helps improve our metabolism and our insulin sensitivity. Um, it actually affects like the full range of hormones that are related to accessing stored energy and regulating how that energy is used. Um, so that's why, you know, exercising during the day can make us feel more energetic, but that's also the mechanism behind the reduced risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, activity obviously improves body composition. It, increases muscle strength. And that is 
something that's really practical because that increases metabolism, but it also increases things like our safety as we age, the more muscles we have, right? The lower our risk of sarcopenia, the lower our risk of, you know, dangerous falls, things like that. Um, but it's also, um, important for bone health. So weight bearing exercise, so walking, right? Anything where you're moving your own body weight around actually stimulates our bodies to make stronger and denser bones. And that's why exercise is so protective against osteoporosis, especially in postmenopausal women. Exercise is really important for stress management. So it's been shown that as long as we're not exercising too strenuously or doing sort of like endurance training for too long of a period of time, because that is a stressor on the body and that can increase stress. So as long as we're not kind of tipping over into that really intense activity level, exercise actually helps to reduce cortisol and help regulate the HPA axis and also helps us sleep better, which then itself helps to regulate the stress response. So sometimes when we're really struggling with improving sleep quality or regulating stress, um, sometimes, uh, focusing on activity can be the thing that sort of makes those other things fall into place. And of course, sleeping, sleeping better is important for just like every single system in the human body. There's a ton of science showing that exercise can improve mood and that's not just the effect on cortisol, but there's a direct effect on neurotransmitters. So there's a really large body of scientific literature showing that exercise can help reduce depression and anxiety and just generally you know, improve our outlooks on life. And this is through neurotransmitters and changes in blood flow, um, in addition to impacts on gut health and the gut-brain axis, because exercise has also been shown to improve the composition of the gut microbiome. So there's studies showing that uh, people who exercise regularly have uh, up to double the number of different microbial strains in the gut, just all else being equal. You can eat the exact same diet, get the exact same amount of sleep, and people who exercise have healthier gut microbiomes. And that's because our gut microbiomes are sensitive to our hormone environment, and exercise is so important for regulating hormones. And then Last, you know, really important benefit of exercise is it's really important for immune health. We covered on our last COVID show how exercise or like not meeting activity guidelines increased risk of uh, severe COVID by, you know, it was like 20 times. Like it was a huge effect. It was pro the, probably the biggest effect of any of the sort of diet and lifestyle factors that we looked at. And that's because exercise helps to regulate the immune system. So it basically makes the immune system better at what's called immunovigilance. So it's better at detecting a foreign invader like a virus or a bacteria and uh, fighting that off really quickly, but also it's better at detecting cancer. Um, so being active increases what are called natural killer cells, which are our cells that like just, you know, go around the body looking for cells that are up to cancery shenanigans and tell those cells to die now by a programmed cell death called apoptosis. Um, and so there's all these interesting studies showing that um, even like right away, like you could do uh, an hour of yoga and you can measure immediately that there are more natural killer cells in the body and you can look at other sort of markers of a healthy immune system but you can also look at it increase over time. So there's a really interesting study that looked at walking and it was 
a really reasonable amount of walking, right? So it was like, uh, I think it was 45 minutes a day, five days a week. If I remember the study correctly, I don't actually have this in my notes. And what they showed was that these markers of a healthy immune system. So a healthy immune system is one that's not attacking us. That's not super, you know, oversensitive and, and going all systemic inflammation over, you know, a, a not meaningful trigger. And that is really good at fighting infection and detecting cancerous cells and killing them before they can become tumors, right? So that's a, what a healthy immune system does. And what the study showed, they followed these um, participants over two years, and they basically showed that over two years, those markers of a healthy immune system continued to go up regularly. So the more, like we get a boost just from one activity, but we also ben continue to benefit the more regularly we engage in some kind of activity. And that's all of the research that the activity targets are sort of pulling from. They sort of look at all of the different benefits and then look at like, what's the cusp for really meaningful effects in our life. So what is the amount of activity that we can sort of recommend to the general population as a minimum so that if everyone's doing this minimum amount of activity, they're going to have, right, a, you know, good, all the mental health benefits, the immune health benefits, the gut health benefits, the cardiometabolic benefits, uh, the bone health benefits, right? So what is, what is that amount? And that's where the weekly guidelines come from. And they're actually really consistent across the entire globe now because there's so much research to draw from from to, to make these guidelines. So general guidelines, the studies show that at least 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity activity is associated with huge health benefits. So that's two and a half hours spread out throughout the entire week. Think a 30 minute walk five times per week. But as we will absolutely get to, because I know this is sort of the, the crux of, of Gabby's question, every little bit of progress towards that 150 minutes counts. Um, and there's some interesting studies showing that even though it's better to spread that two and a half hours out throughout the week, it's not a huge difference compared to if you get it all in one big workout session on the weekend. So there was a study, they called it like weekend warriors. Um, so people who will go and like play squash all afternoon on a Saturday afternoon or something like that, um, that they actually have pretty comparable benefits, not quite as great as if you played squash for 30 minutes, five times a week. Um, but it's not a huge difference. So basically it's better if you can sort it throughout the week, but whatever you can fit into your schedule is good. And then basically 150 minutes we can think of as a minimum. So the more active you are, the greater the health benefits. So we basically get, it's like a linear response. So the more active we are, that much proportional more benefits we get up to about 300 to 400 minutes per week. After 400-ish minutes per week, the, um, the amount of benefit we get for the time investment in activity starts to not be as much. So we get diminishing returns, but it's still beneficial. So up to you know, hours and hours and hours per week is beneficial depending on the activity level, obviously, like endurance training, um, is becoming a stressor on the body. So when we're training in a more vigorous way, that becomes stressful and that starts to suppress the immune system that starts to increase gut health problems. Um, so, so 
a large amount of vigorous activity does have sort of a maximum where it starts to tip into impacting these systems in a negative way. But when you're talking about mild to moderate activity, there's kind of no cap. It's just that the benefits you're going to get over six, six and a half hours per week um, are going to not, you know, that your 10th hour is not going to be as great as your first hour. It's kind of like how that works. Um, but I can tell you, right, I hike 10 or 11 hours per week and I power lift three hours per week. So that's like more than double that 400 minute per week level. And I view that as a really good use of my time, especially the hiking, because it's not just exercise, right? It's my time in nature. It's my time in the sun. It's my time with my dog. It's my unplugged time. So I'm getting mental health benefits for that time investment in addition to physical health benefits. So I don't want to say like, don't try to get more than 400 minutes per week. If that's the way you structure your life, that's awesome. Um, but for the person who's less active than that, trying to figure out what the goal is, start with 150 minutes per week. There's huge health benefits from there. And then see if you can get up to 300 minutes. That's five hours a week. Um, but it's okay to, again, like make iterative progress because every, every step counts. Every little bit of exercise is important. And then there's basically a different set of guidelines for vigorous activity. We basically count every one minute of vigorous activity, the same as two minutes of moderate intensity activity. So um, if you like vigorous activity, which would be right running or jogging compared to walking, um, your guidelines can be cut in half. So you can do five 15 minute jogs in a week and hit the same benefit with activity. This episode is sponsored by Wondrium, a home to video and audio learning experience on virtually any topic you can imagine. Check out documentaries, series, lessons, how-tos, and more. All presented by teachers, professors, and experts who really know their stuff and who make learning fun and exciting. Sarah, what have you been binging lately? I have been loving Why Insects Matter, Earth's Most Essential Species with Dr. Scott Solomon. Stacy, did you know that insect pollinators contribute about $195 billion to the global economy every year? And out of the 94 most important crop plants worldwide, 75 of them are pollinated by insects. The honeybee, of course, is the biggest contributor, but what's really interesting is that many plants like vanilla, cacao, and figs are all plants with specific pollinators, stingless bees for vanilla, midges for cacao, and fig wasps for figs. I literally had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I've got more fun facts that I have learned from this amazing, amazing, amazing series. So insects play a crucial role as detritivores, which is a new word I learned from Dr. Solomon. That means they work to decompose dead organic matter. And in fact, fungi and bacteria need insects in order to decompose dead organic matter efficiently, which then like recycles the chemicals and makes them available for other organisms. And here, all this time, I was giving all the credit to fungi when insects were so crucial. I, I think that's actually really cool. Um, and I'm interested to learn more myself. Okay, I've got a third fun fact for you. How much are you watching? You really are binging. <laughs> so this is a 24-episode series with a 240-page guidebook. There is so much information, and it is just 
fascinating. It's so engaging. I'm absolutely loving it. So my last fun fact for you for today. Did you know that 2 billion people in the world eat insects as a regular part of their diet? And that includes over 1,900 different species of insects eaten worldwide, including things like beetle larvae, locusts, ants, termites, crickets, grasshoppers, and worms. And that insects are actually the most sustainable source of protein on the planet. And they're incredibly nutrient dense, more so than most meat. And while I've only tasted a couple of different kinds like crickets and cricket bars, Dr. Solomon assures us that they're all also extremely delicious. I I don't know if I'm going to trust Dr. Solomon on that <laughs> one, because I'm remembering when we were talking about the lettuce and me finding a bug and freaking out. <laughs> but I love all of that. And I love that the Wondrium app makes it easy to listen and learn on the go. So Maybe I'll maybe maybe I'll give it a chance. I don't know. I can toggle back and forth between the audio and video too, which is nice, uh, depending on what you're watching and what you want to see, because the Wondrium content is so high quality. We want you to sign up for Wondrium today. Wondrium is offering our listeners a special limited time offer: a free 22-day trial membership. To get this offer, you need to visit wondrium.com/wholeview. Again, that's W O N. D-R-I-U-M dot com slash whole view. Sign up today. I'm thinking about all of these numbers that you're giving both from the perspective of like when I was lifting in that super vigorous state because my my lifting was vigorous. Strongman is like pick up this heavy thing and run with it. Yes. <laughs> and then um, now with water aerobics, which is very different, it's funny that breaks out when I go three times a week to exactly the um, recommendation of two and a half hours. It's there, mm -hmm. you know, exactly timed that way. So woohoo for me. Um, if only I could actually get there three times a week or felt comfortable, there's always something that comes up. Um, but I love this idea of being able to kind of like fill in on the weekend or doing some other things like walking or in my case, Peloton, or um, I know we're going to talk about some additional things that you can do to avoid kind of that prolonged um, sitting that so many of us experience. Even as someone who works from home, I am sitting at my desk almost all day. And I know how helpful it is for me and how much better I feel if I get up and I do some of these um, spurts that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the, the things that I want to point out before we kind of jump into that is this idea that we talked about almost when you talked about 30 varieties of fruits and vegetables feels really overwhelming. So I want to just kind of like break down what you said to everybody because it's actually less um, overwhelming for me once I am starting to think about it, kind of like we were talking about it with vegetables. I, I was like 30 and then we started to talk about, oh, okay, what, what are they? And garlic counts. Oh, that's great. You know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, so for me, when I think of, you know, two and a half hours or even um, more than that, like to hear that you're hiking for 10 or 11 hours a day, like all of that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm a like, week. I, 10 or 11 I'm, oh, hours sorry, a day sorry, would be a, a lot. Sorry. No, I meant a week. <laughs> um, 
I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I'm not getting that. But then if I, if I think about what I am doing or what, okay, if I wanted to add more, what I could do, and you think about it from a week's perspective, and I do almost always have that additional thing that I do on the weekends because I want to get out of the house with the kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so if we're thinking about things from a week-long perspective, I think that makes it so much more sustainable and um easy to process how it can work for you. So I just kind of want to remind everybody that, you know, this, this doesn't mean that you need to go to the gym every day and get 30 minutes of, you know, exact exercise for it to mean that you are getting these health benefits. If that works for you, great. If that doesn't work for your lifestyle, I love this idea of, you know, you can play play pickleball all weekend long or, you know, whatever it is and still get some of these benefits. But you can also get some benefits by integrating some of this during the day where you might have five minutes uh, between a meeting before your next Zoom meeting and like, okay, what can I do? I'm just going to stand here, listen to my audiobook and do squats or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really helpful to kind of give some examples of what sort of counts as moderate versus vigorous activity, remembering that anything vigorous, like you get two minutes credit, right? Compared to moderate intensity activity. Are we calling that like sweating? Are we calling that uh, like vigorous and moderate? Is that like a heart rate measure? Yeah. So it's, it's measured by VO2 max. So it's basically measured by like how much oxygen you're using in order to move your muscles. Um, so scientifically it's, it has a very strict definition, but in terms of like practical, I think the most easy way to describe moderate versus vigorous activity is can you hold a conversation? Yes or no. So if you're able to hold a whole conversation and just chat away, this is, I'm going for a walk and I'm chatting with my friend the whole time, that's moderate intensity activity. And if you can uh, not hold a conversation, you had to have to breathe after a few words, maybe you can spit out like maybe barely a sentence if it's not too long, then you're into vigorous activity. Because I think it's important to know that what is moderate for one person might be vigorous for the next. Um, What might be vigorous for one person might be like impossible for someone else. So um, what is moderate or vigorous has a lot to do with your like current level of fitness, how familiar your body is with that particular activity. So also if you're doing something new, right, and your muscles aren't practiced at that thing, you don't have the strength and the right muscles or the muscle memory, then that's going to also be more vigorous than once you have done that new activity for a long time. So things that count as moderate intensity, like walking, and they say walking briskly, but it's like over the, the limit is a hundred steps per minute. It generally translates for most people to about 2.6 miles per hour, which is not actually that fast of a walk. It's not a really slow stroll either, but it's a really reasonable pace for most people. Um, so walking is moderate intensity, water aerobics, um, cycling, not too fast, like 10 miles an hour or slower. 
tennis as doubles where you <laughs> you have your friend to go get the ball sometimes um that would count ballroom dancing but also things like general gardening walking up a flight of stairs um you know if you want to do you know push-ups or squats you're probably getting into vigorous intensity activity even if you're only doing them for a minute so things like crossfit weight training race walking um all these types of high intensity interval training like boot camp programs uh any kind of aerobic class dancing cycling faster jogging right running jumping rope um, heavy gardening, which would be right digging a hole <laughs> or hoeing, right? Something that um, involves more like muscle strength. Hiking, um, if you're hiking uphill, it's vigorous. If you're hiking downhill, it's moderate, right? Or even walking, carrying heavy groceries, right? Um, that's going to count as vigorous activity. So it really has to do with like, are you huffing and puffing? Can you? hold that conversation right now. If not, it's vigorous activity. And then muscle strengthening kind of has its own category in terms of recommendations um, because they're sort of beneficial in a, in a slightly different way. But muscle strengthening activities has a lot of crossover, right? So things like sit-ups and push-ups, those are going to count as vigorous intensity activity, but also as muscle strengthening, lifting weights, working with resistance bands, but things like yoga is still going to be, it's going to be more moderate intensity generally, depending on the type of yoga you're doing, but it's a muscle strengthening activity. Tai Chi would be muscle strengthening that, you know, gardening in general, like those types of things are also building muscle and building balance, which is also independently beneficial again, mainly because it reduces the risk of falls as we age. So that has incredible benefits above and beyond the hormonal regulation benefits that then impact all the systems in the human body beneficially. I'm curious because I know we hear so often how good exercise is for you and you're re-sharing that with us. The, the science of this information um, is not surprising at all. But one of the things that we also hear about in the community, especially, for example, um, as I became more educated in terms of health and hormones, how many people I spoke with who were by their own classifications over exercising, and it had caused amenorrhea or hormone disruption. Mm -hmm. And um, by their definition, you know, harming their health and they scaled back and then started to see improvements in some of those areas. I'm wondering kind of what the science says and where that division is, right? Like you're giving us guidelines on, okay, we know that your health has improved from this minimum. Now, how, how negative are we talking about? What does that look like? Like how harmful can it be? And how much do we to ensure protection of our health, for example, do we want to like hit that sweet spot, right? Like it yeah. feels good, but maybe not that good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to include here that exercising too much over exercising can harm gut health and immune health, right? We see this in athletes that they're more likely to have asthma, they're more susceptible to lung infections. 
Um, we see, especially in endurance athletes, increased uh, gut health problems, um, often stim stimulated by long workouts. And that's all mediated through the HPA axis. Um, I mean, there's some other effects like changes in blood flow to the intestines and things like that. But really, the, the dominant mechanism behind this is that it's a physical type of stress to work out. And so what we want to do is keep that stress level in the good beneficial stress, right, where we're mostly getting the benefits to sleep and gut health and, uh, you know, stress management. If we tip over into overexercising, then we're producing too much stress hormones as a result of our workouts. And that basically increases intestinal permeability. It's actually not cortisol that is the main driver of that, which is really fascinating to me. It's corticotropin releasing hormone, which is from the pituitary gland. So it's from the P and the HPA axis. Um, I mean, cortisol also has some, some negative impacts on gut motility and mucus production in the gut. It inhibits digestion. It um, reduces pancreatic enzyme secretion and gallbladder function um, and also directly impacts the gut microbiome. But corticotropin-releasing hormone directly increases the permeability of not just the intestinal barrier, but the lung barrier, the skin barrier, the blood-brain barrier. Um, and that's that's really fascinating. We talked about it like way back in episodes 132 and 151. So um, I, we will direct our, our listeners to uh, ye olden days of the Whole View podcast. Um, but really, it's hard to know. There's not a number to put on this. So what will tip one person into overactivity can be very different from someone else. And it's really driven by how we fuel that exercise and how we recover. So um, general recommendations are to have at least 24 hours in between tough workouts, 48 hours would be better. And then making sure that we are consuming a nutrient dense diet that is including, you know, protein and starch to help improve muscle recovery. Um, and also making sure that we're hydrating, probiotics can help avoiding intense workouts in um, very, very warm weather can help. Um, but it's just important to sort of be aware that over-exercise can be a problem. And the things to look for are things like not sleeping well, having really bad um, delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS, um, you know, really feeling kind of run down, feeling like our, feeling stressed, right? Feeling like our response to stress is not that good. Um, having any kind of GI symptoms can, can be a sign to watch for things like headaches. Like just pay attention to how you're actually feeling. Like even though you might have the endorphin rush of a runner's high when you're doing a training run, be like on the lookout for how you feel in between how you feel when you, you know, go to bed that night, when you wake up the next morning, um, and be willing to pull back on the intensity level if you feel like you're starting to impact your health negatively. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. I take this probiotic every day. It is the only probiotic that I can tell is working. Yes. 
And Just Thrive Probiotic is completely unique because of the science-backed and clinically proven strains in their formula. Just Thrive uses four keystone species strains of bacillus probiotic bacteria, which means they're essential for creating a gut environment where other probiotics you've probably heard of, like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, can grow. Just Thrive's four strains have been shown to improve digestion, restore microbial diversity during infection, stabilize the gut microbiome, inhibit the growth of pathogenic species, and even produce highly bioavailable antioxidant carotenoids like lutein. I love that we can say that because it's all backed by clinical trials. I often recommend Just Thrive to my skin clients because of how effective it is. Yeah, in one trial, just supplementing with Just Thrive probiotic reduced leaky gut and inflammation. My favorite fun fact is that unlike any other type of probiotics, the natural source for this probiotic strain is dirt or strains, as you've just informed me, uh, which means it doesn't need to be refrigerated. And unlike a lot of other probiotics, Just Thrive probiotic is free of wheat, gluten, dairy, nuts, soy, salt, sugar, artificial flavors, binders, fillers, allergens, and GMOs. You can get all your Just Thrive products discounted at Just Thrive Health dot com slash discount slash the whole view and use the code the whole view for 15% off at checkout. That includes bundles and subscriptions. So definitely double up on your savings at just thrivehealth.com slash discount slash the whole view with code the whole view. That's super helpful to kind of understand the science behind how some of that works and can be harmful. And it wouldn't have occurred to me that athletes have, for example, increased asthma. I would think that like, oh, if you're an athlete, you're going to improve that health. But like knowing that there's science behind it, I'm like, well, I guess I could see how if you're doing too much and putting too much on your body, that that might be one of the areas that would become inflamed. So um, thank you for... (laughs) (laughs) learn something new every day um I guess what's the next question I have or the next kind of like okay what's super interesting to me and also what I think Gabby will love hearing um is kind of okay other than for example Gabby's doing this walking if she wants to add some things to improve health from an exercise perspective like what can she do? How much How much matters? And, you know, what, what are some ideas that the science says is helpful? So exercise snacks are the coolest thing I have ever learned about. Well, okay, recently anyways. I, I'm so geeking out over this because in the olden days of three or four years ago, the activity guidelines always said, like, count anything that's 10 minutes or more. And the World Health Organization has actually like removed that 10-minute cusp for counting exercise from their guidelines because of exercise snack research, which is fascinating because what it really shows, and these are huge studies, some of them, it shows that every step counts, right? The Every little tiny bit. So there's been some really fascinating studies. So there was one that looked at 20-second bike sprints. So these people either did uh, 20, 20 second bike sprints separated by between one to four hours of inactive time. They did three in a day for three days per week. Okay. And they compared it to people who did 
the 20 second bike sprints all within like 10 minutes, like a sort of high intensity interval training. And then compared it to people who didn't get to do like they were just the inactive controls. So the people who did these 20 second bike sprints separated by four hours, three times per day for three days per week had a 13% improvement in cardiometabolic health, uh, in insulin sensitivity compared to, uh, a comparable amount. Like it was about the same distance, the same difference if they did it over a 10 minute period. So it was like 13% improvement versus 9% improvement compared to the people who didn't get to do anything. So I'm just, okay. 20 seconds separated by four hours, three times a day, uh, three days a week, 13% improvement. It's so amazing that that little bit of exercise could have such a huge measurable impact on really important markers of health. There's been um, studies where they look at people like climbing stairs. So they'll have people climb three flights of stairs I was just gonna, per day. I was just going to tell you, I am going to start, how I'm going to start implementing this sustainably in my life is every time I go up or down the stairs, I'm going to do it three times. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. It's, I, I, to me, this is, this is the coolest stuff in the world. So yeah, three flights of stairs, three times a day, three days per week for six weeks improved fitness in people. Um, there have been uh, other studies where they had people climb climb stairs. They called it stair climbing snacks. Um, for 15 to 30 seconds at a time, once per hour, and had a like 16.5% improvement in insulin sensitivity from from just like climbing climbing stairs for 15 seconds uh, every hour during otherwise inactive time. Um, which is really fascinating because this also confirms all of these studies showing that if we take a two-minute movement break every 20 minutes of otherwise like sedentary time, that that basically negates any potential harm of sitting. So there's a whole pile of studies that show just getting up for two minutes, walking around, stretching a little bit. Interestingly, studies show that just standing, if you're like sitting at a desktop and you stand for two minutes, that doesn't really help much. But even if you just kind of like move your body a little bit, that two minutes of movement every 20 minutes of a desk job or, you know, getting up during a commercial break. I know most of us don't watch commercials anymore because <laughs> we stream everything. But, you know, getting up every 20 minutes of watching TV, that basically negates all of the harm of all of that sitting. So what all of these movement snack studies are doing is they're showing that a very small amount of effort can have a really meaningful impact on our health. There was even a study that looked at three seconds of of they were looking at like isometric versus concentric versus eccentric bicep curls. So for three seconds of maximum effort performed daily for five days a week for four weeks. So three seconds per day, total three seconds per day. And uh, they showed a 10% increase in muscle strength over four weeks in this group, which is amazing. Eccentric was like slightly better than concentric or, or isometric uh, in terms of contractions, but like that's, they all were beneficial three seconds, 
three seconds of like one push up. One push up is good. It's it's amazing. And this suddenly makes to me it makes um activity so much more accessible because in the olden days, if you had to think about, oh, I've got to find 10 minutes at a time. No, you can find three seconds. You can run up one flight of stairs. You can take a 20 second break to do however many pushups you can do in 20 seconds, like eight, maybe 10 pushups. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can do 10 pushups in 20 seconds. Um, you could jog in place or do a few jumping jacks. Or if you're uh, crazy, you could do burpees, I don't think anyone likes burpees, um, but you could also. They're take... so super effective, though. <laughs> they really are. They are very efficient. They're a very efficient use of your time. Um, but you could you could go on a if you have a rowing machine or a stationary bike, you could jump on that for a minute. Uh, you could do sit ups. You could do lunges. You could do squats. You could do like a wall sit. Do like an overhead static hold with I don't know like jugs of water or something. You could hold a plank. Um, or you could just, you could do a, a, some yoga poses, right? It's like all of these things are beneficial. And here's the cool thing about exercise snacks is that for most people, most people don't start sweating until they've been exercising for at least a minute, closer to two minutes. So like you can, you can add these things into your life without having to change, without having to put on workout clothes. Um, you know, obviously like a a tight skirt might make a lot of these types of movements harder, but not all of them. And, um, and then that makes it also accessible too, right? Because it's the type of break that you can take anytime, anywhere. And we can count when we're thinking about 150 minutes, two and a half hours a week, we can count all of this, right? We can count every little bit that we do. And I think that's a really like liberating piece of knowledge supported by some really cool scientific studies is that every single thing that we do that's activity counts. And we can do this in such a way that, right, if we don't have time for that 30-minute walk five days a week, like maybe maybe there's time for a 15 minute walk and then maybe the rest for activity is grabbing that opportunity to, you know, take the stairs. Um, it really emphasizes these, you know, the, do you remember when they like the old school activity guidelines of like park farther away and walk, like walk across the parking lot to get into the grocery store and take the stairs instead of the elevator, like all these really sort of like low hanging fruit type ways of increasing activity, the science has kind of caught up to those recommendations and showed every single one of those things counts. And I think that when we talk about the benefit of moderate exercise, something like walking, the great thing about exercise snacks is it's a great way to add in something that has more of a strength and balance focus because we can add in something like push-ups or sit-ups or, or lunges or, or air squats. Um, and we're going to be able to work on strength because again, we've, we've seen that just three seconds a day increases muscle strength. So every little bit counts. I think that is so, so helpful to know. I love it. I also couldn't help but thinking about how especially mothers of young children or caretakers in general of young children are so 
filling this need, (laughs) simply chasing after Uh young children and toddlers and picking them up and carrying them around. Like, I remember I started CrossFit after I'd had all of my children when Wesley was still a toddler. And it wasn't that, like, I wasn't in as bad of shape as I thought I would be. And I realize now that's because I was doing (laughs) all of these, like, functional movements that would have been part of these classifications of you know regular exercise you know like these interval type exercises they were they were many snacks of of (laughs) picking up my children and carrying them around and chasing after them and all that kind of stuff and I think um some of the ones that I really like to do at home that are I think helpful especially for people who maybe aren't doing a lot at home or like Gabby was saying she's just not motivated at home like I will when I'm I realize that I'm like reading something on my phone for a long time or something like doing a wall sit is a really Mm -hmm. great way to do that and it will also keep you from like going into a black hole on Instagram because you'll eventually be like uh and I'm done (laughs) I also have have a 47 pound dog who thinks that wall sits mean I get to be in your lap oh so weighted weighted wall sits also excellent Oh, it's her favorite thing. She also likes to ride my back on for push-ups. And let's be clear, I cannot do a push-up with a 47-pound weight on my back. I'm only doing the negatives, but I'm working on it. Matt used to do push-ups with the kids on his back. And he was like, if I do this every day and I pick them up over my head every day, then eventually I'll be able to like lift 200 pounds up over yep. my head. Um but he he stopped. I don't know why. He was on a roll for a while. Um, the other one that is, you know, really convenient and easy for me is sometimes I'll just be like talking to someone in the house or whatever. And I'll start to do push-ups like either on the kitchen countertop or mm-hmm. on a wall. Like you don't even have to get down on the floor to do them, right? Like for me, upper body is the is the thing that I have less uh, muscle mass in like I have a lot of lower body strength just naturally and so for me it helps with core muscle development and upper upper strength if I just like do those either on a wall or on the countertop just randomly and the kids will be like what are you doing and I'm like well you're talking to me so instead of just standing here <laughs> and then they're like I'm done it's fine come, come join me come yeah. join me yeah. come on no, you no, can do it too they're like mom you're weird bye um, um and lately I've been filling in the gaps because I'm because I very intentionally got a high activity dog two years ago in order to motivate me to start every morning with a hike in the woods. Like that was that was strategic and I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Um I tend to fill the gaps. My like movement breaks tend to be like walking across the house to get a new cup of herbal tea. (laughs) So, you know, like that, that tends to be my movement break while I'm working, but I've also been doing more gardening as I'm working on putting in this new vegetable garden. And that's also been a really wonderful way to kind of add in more just puttery and some digging. So that definitely counts as vigorous, vigorous, uh, activity. But I think it's, you know, again, this is to me the most valuable part of all of this is that, we can really think outside the box in terms of the activity that we're doing and um, every little bit counts. So every, every little tiny thing we do, we get to feel proud of ourselves for doing. And I've, I always think that everything, when we can set ourselves up to feel 
proud of our choices, making multiple good choices in a day. Like I just think from a mental health perspective, that creates a lot of momentum that helps turn these into lifelong habits that are really sustainable. This podcast is sponsored by Lumino, the first ever dentist-formulated, naturally-derived, clinically-tested, certified non-toxic oral care company in the world. You won't find harsh bleaches, artificial dyes, or alcohol in any of their products. Their formulas for toothpaste, mouthwash, and whitening products actually help your oral health instead of hurting it. Here's something I didn't know. 98% of oral bacteria are good for you. They're actually essential for your oral health. Turns out the fact that all bacteria are bad is just a myth. I think we knew that, but I didn't really know it in my mouth. And Lumino is busting it wide open. Yes, I totally geeked out on their clinical studies. These products are designed to neutralize the toxins responsible for infection and disease in your mouth without harming the balance of your body's first line of defense, those beneficial bacteria. And they even did a clinical study to prove that using the clean and fresh mouthwash significantly reduced markers of inflammation in those with gingivitis. I have tried a lot of safer toothpaste and none of them have the science behind them as Lumino. I love that their whitening products don't risk harming your health and everything they make is certified non-toxic, dentist formulated, backed by over 50 studies and proven to protect your microbiome. I feel safer having my whole family use it, and I am big on testing and can see their commitment to safety. Yes, I love their purposeful and uncompromising ingredients like sea salt, aloe, and coconut oils to clean and brighten your smile. And I love how my smile feels and looks, and I can really tell that the products are are whitening and destaining my teeth. It is really impressive. I love that. And listeners, I know that you're going to love Lumino as much as we do too. Find Lumino on Amazon.com and get $7 off today. That's L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X. Remember, it's spelled with an X, so you can X out the harm. (laughs) (laughs) They even have subscribe and save options for more savings on Amazon too. Lumino, dedicated to eliminating better ideas in oral care. I already know the answer because I've been listening to the rest of the podcast, but (laughs) uh, to answer Gabby's question, does walking count? Yeah, resoundingly, yes. And one of the things that I really want to clarify, because we classified 100 steps per minute or about 2.6 miles per hour, that's 4.2 kilometers per hour, as the walking pace on average that counts as moderate intensity activity, noting that that's like flat ground, right? Those are measured on treadmills. So if you're going uh, uphill or if you're walking on uneven ground, like you're going, you know, on a, you're on a beach, beaches are really hard to walk on in sand, or you're on like a wooded path, uneven ground will increase the heart rate because it increases the effort required to not fall. Um, And also like a slower pace counts as moderate if you're older, right? So like even noting all of those things, there's a huge amount of studies that just show walking is beneficial, period. And it doesn't even need to be in this moderate intensity, like activity range in order to count as super awesome. And there's even studies showing that 
um, what, what matters is miles basically, or kilometers per week. And if you compare like the same number of miles per week walking versus running, that actually walking is even slightly better for us and that it increases uh, cardiometabolic health, it improves our insulin sensitivity, it improves blood pressure, it improves our cholesterol, so it reduces risk of heart disease and diabetes. Um, and that, again, has like nothing to do with your walking pace. It is just how far you go is how they measure it in those studies. And then there's studies that have looked at, you know, people who, who walk a certain amount of time per week. And again, it's not looking at how far they go. It's not looking at, at pace um, and showing that people who walk regularly have, you know, lower blood pressure, 7% lower blood pressure on, on average, um, lower cholesterol. They have a 12% um, reduced risk of diabetes. Um, women who walk at least three hours a week have a 43% lower stroke risk compared to women who are inactive. Um, studies show that it improves memory and cognition. Um, so just, you know, things like memory and executive function, but also, uh, in older adults, it's been shown to improve, um, neurological health. So studies showing that again, like a daily walking regimen has been shown to improve memory and cognition in older people, but it's also been shown to increase creative output through divergent thinking by an average of 60%. So walking makes us like more creative people, which I think is like fascinating. It actually increases the amount of gray matter in our brain, which is a measure of brain health. Um, Studies have shown that walking improves mental health, again, through like production of neurotransmitters. There is a study um, that showed that walking for 12 minutes increased uh, joviality and vigor, attentiveness and self-confidence. And what's even cooler is there was a meta-analysis, my favorite kind of study. It was like 23 different studies that showed that uh, walking at least 10 minutes per week Increased happiness. I just think that's amazing. Happiness is part of health. So I love that they're mm -hmm. measuring that as well, yeah. right? It like, was published in the Journal of Happiness, which I didn't know existed. Oh until my gosh. <laughs> that just <laughs> made me so happy to hear that there's a Journal of Happiness. <laughs> no, but I know that, you know, like just getting out, like on the days that are nice, if I walk Wesley to school or those kinds of things, like it, it really does uh, have like a mind reset thing, right? Like the fresh air, the sunlight, like all the benefits of doing an outdoor walk are also incredible. So I think that that would contribute to health as much as it is contributing to happiness, yeah, like you're I, noting, right? I agree. Um, and then the most important thing is studies show that walking, uh, improves lifespans, right? It reduces all cause mortality. So it's basically, um, studies have shown that walking for roughly three hours per week. Again, no, no measurement of pace, no measurement of how far we go. So a three hour, however, whatever pace you walk at, uh, reduces risk of premature death by 11%. Um, there was another study that showed that 15 minutes of moderate paced walking. So this, this one study did, did have to classify it as moderate activity had a 22% lower risk of death. So, you know, the studies show unequivocally walking 
absolutely counts as our exercise. And other than, you know, looking for ways to add some strength training and balance activities that can help to, again, these are more protective. It's important to integrate into our lives to basically have that good strength and balance as we go into older age, because then that's protective against falls. And, and that's the main reason for those, those types of activities in, in our life and prioritizing them. But we can really think outside the box even for those, right? So again, just, you know, taking the route that has some hills, right? That's going to build strength and balance. Carrying objects, especially if it's, right, if you're carrying a, a grocery bag, it's a little bit uh, uneven, that increases both strength and balance. Walking on uneven ground like trails and the beach will build balance. And of course, we've already talked about exercise snacks and yoga and gardening. And there's a lot of different ways that um, Gabby can take her walking routine and switch up a few things like walking on a trail or the beach instead of the sidewalk or taking the route with hills. That's still going to hit that that balance and uh, strength training aspect, and then maybe throw in some exercise snacks, Gabby, if if that fits. But I mean, what all of the science says is that walking is really incredibly healthy for us. And yeah, walking's great. Keep keep walking. That's that's the that's the summary of all of the science. It it tells us that walking is a fantastic activity. All right. I think the last element of both Gabby and, if I'm being honest, my um, (laughs) problems and question might be this element of when exercise exacerbates pain. And I think anyone maybe over the age of 30 (laughs) might have their own question on this, right? But like as we get older, I know I'm not the only one who wants to make sure that when you're done exercising that you feel good, right? That we're Mm -hmm. not... um, like exacerbating neck or back pain, that kind of stuff. So was there science that you found in the literature about all of that? Yeah. So in terms of, you know, neck or back pain, absent an injury, right? So an injury is obviously a separate issue, right? So Stacey, this applies to you. So for an injury, you want to be doing the things that are relevant to healing from your injury. And that might include, you know, physical therapy or, you know, certain stretches that are particular for, for what that issue is more broadly, if we're looking at just like, oh yeah, running makes my knees sore. Um, that's a, another great time to go talk to a physical therapist, make sure there's not something like osteoarthritis happening. Right. So make sure that it's not an injury or some kind of right degenerative joint issue. And if it is, it might be a question of looking at diet, right? Anti-inflammatory diet, looking at lifestyle factors that are affecting inflammation, um, you know, maybe switching up the activity, right? So if you have osteoarthritis uh, and running is making your joints hurt, maybe it's a good time to take up a different activity that doesn't have as much of that sort of impact force on those joints that are complaining. Um, But also one of the things that Gabby mentioned that I think is, is actually some really interesting science is she mentioned um, thinking that her her chronic back pain was actually from sitting so much. And there's been some really interesting, like brand new posture studies. There's actually one that's just in preprint. It actually is going to come out um, in March. Um, and it's uh, a five-year study looking at 
uh, teens. And what they actually did was looked at their sitting posture and then um, categorized it in all kinds of different ways and then looked at neck pain uh, five years later. And it showed that, right, this think about like that slumped posture and how we're always told we should like sit up straight. And there's all these different like posture correctors that you can buy online. Um, and that we're always told like that, that slumping over our desks is really bad and we're going to have neck pain. Um, the studies actually show that that's, that's not the case and that actually um, like forcing ourselves to sit with that really rigid upright posture is actually something that makes it worse. And there's a pile of studies that, this sort of like reinforces older studies. There was a 26, 2016 study that showed that posture didn't increase neck pain or headaches. A 20, uh, 2008 study that showed that posture didn't affect neck or shoulder pain. Um, and actually sitting with a more relaxed posture while we're working or doing other you know, watching TV or whatever is actually protective against future persistent neck pain. And what the studies have shown is that things that are risk factors for spinal pain absent injury are uh, not getting enough sleep. That increases the risk of both neck, shoulder, and back pain. Very low physical activity or very high physical activity. So especially with very high physical activity that's not balanced with recovery and um uh, mobility type exercises. So if we're not working on increasing mobility and our muscles are getting tighter and tighter, and we're still continuing to do this really intense physical activity that can cause pulling on joints, um, that can then lead to problems like spine pain, high stress. And then the biggest, most important thing we can do again, sort of absent injury is switching up the position that we're sitting in more frequently during the day. And that goes back to taking those movement breaks. So, um, one of the, the biggest things we can do, it's not how we're sitting, it's that we're sitting exactly the same way for hours at a time. So whether that means just getting up and resetting, right, get up, take the movement break, reset, uh, you know, have my feet in a different place, maybe sit in a different type of chair, maybe, you know, move to a different location if you can, depending on where you're working, um, switching it up. Uh, as often as you can during the day is the thing that's really protective against the development of all these issues that used to be in the olden days attributed to how horrible it was that we've all developed this terrible, relaxed posture while we're working. And really new science shows it's not our posture, but rather all of the other things in our lifestyle that are contributing and also just being in the same position for a really long period of time. I just want to recap this list of factors for spinal pain because I find them to be 100% accurate <laughs> of my own n equals one experiment so low or bad sleep and I know that a lot of people are trying to avoid taking pain medication for one reason or another I know for me for a really long time I was worried about taking NSAIDs for example because I have autoimmune and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I was not taking any pain medication to support my back, but then I wouldn't get good sleep. And so discovering CBD and discovering that a um, posture pillow that you can sleep with at night, those were game changers for me. Right? Mm -hmm. So now I get 
wonderful sleep. Um, I take magnesium and CBD and I have my posture pillow and it makes such a difference. I don't wake up stiff in the morning anymore, which I know is a, is a struggle for a lot of people. Also very, very low or very, very high physical activity, 100%. If I do nothing or if I way overdo it, like that's going to exacerbate my pain. My, like your body needs to be able to anticipate, I think, right? Like it, you, if you want to ramp up exercise, I think this is not something that Sarah specifically shared, but from my own experience, like working up to those things is a much better idea for your body versus just like, you know, it's been, it's been the holiday break. You've done absolutely nothing for a very long time. And now you're just like, and it's January 1st. And therefore I'm going to jump into doing all of these things at once. It's, it's too much. Like it's, it's unsustainable yeah. and your body's like, Whoa, what are you doing? I, I, I will say because it's a, because it's a stress. If you're at, take doing a workout that is harder than what you are accustomed to, then it's a physical stress and you've got all the HPA axis problems. And yep, stress was another one. And not just physical stress, but also if you are emotionally stressed mm -hmm. and lack of sleep includes that, right? If you are emotionally stressed, your body is already kind of like on the edge and yep. adding anything more to that is going to cause inflammation, which is usually what is going to trigger, you know, pain to come about. So, um, and I love this idea of not switching up positions more frequently during the day, because that is something that I have realized and didn't really have words to articulate or pinpoint. But I often do this where I, you know, I sit at my desk for a portion of the day, and then I work on my phone from um, a different area of the room, or, you know, I'm walking and I'm listening or on a call or, you know what I mean, I'm doing with my earbuds and, and being able to kind of have those um, change ups throughout the day is really helpful. It's the days when I literally just sit at my desk in the same chair all day long, because I'm like, oh, I'm so behind, I have to do all these things that at the end of the day, I'm like, oh my gosh, my back hurts. Um, so that makes sense. And I love that I can give like credence to, yep, I believe that science. I'm doing a thumbs up. You can't see it right now, but I believe that science. Um, so Gabby, as I said at the top of the show, I just want to like give you a little hug and high five. You're doing great. And uh, kudos to you for sticking to the walking and, you know, finding things that work for you. And I just want to say no matter like what anybody is doing, whether it's walking or something else, just like kudos and high five for listening to your body and doing the things that work for you. And I know for me, I'm listening and I'm like, you know what, I can totally go up and down the stairs a few more times. And I can make an effort to like put some of these snacks in knowing that I usually miss one uh, water aerobics a week. I need to, I want to make up that time. And knowing that the science says just doing these little bursts around the house is going to help me do that. Like, I feel good about that. I don't want anyone to take away from this, like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I should do more. I have all this guilt. I have all this shame. Like, you can totally just give yourself a pat on the back. You're here. You made it. <laughs> Where, what, however, you got here, you're here. And do a little bit at a time and feel good about the things that you are doing because the more that you are proud of the quick wins, so to speak, right? Like the little things that you can do and you feel good about them, the more likely you are to want to do more. But if you're carrying a lot of shame and guilt around what you wish you would be doing or, you know, in my case, I carried a lot of frustration and guilt 
and shame and sadness and all these things when I couldn't strongman anymore. And instead, once I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to do water aerobics and I love it. I really do. Um, It just really changed my mental health and my desire to want to go and all of those things. And so I think if you can step outside of what the culture says or what you perceive, you know, you should be doing but aren't and just tell yourself instead, hey, you know what? I'm doing awesome because I'm picking up my toddler and I'm carrying him around the house. Like high five to you. And when, and you are ready to do more, like praise yourself for that and just try to keep it up as positive as you can, because that builds in more reward systems to your brain that makes you want to just do it more and more. I mean, I, I could not agree more. And I think the, the main take home from this is every little bit counts and every progress we make towards our goals counts. And so I think it's far more important to celebrate all of the good steps we're making than think about how many more steps there are to take to get to our goal, because that's what the science tells us. Every step counts and we can be proud of every little three seconds of exercise we manage to fit in in the day. Well, I hope that you will join us over on Patreon after the show. That's patreon.com slash the whole view. And um, if you already are on Patreon, you're going to want to listen. Sarah's got a, a special announcement and we will be talking as we always do um, in our our privacy of our little Patreon community, um, a little more heartfelt and honest and um, I feel like it should be dubbed like the raw show. I feel like that's what TV calls things, you know, but um, we'll be over there. And if you are not part of that community, we'll be back again next week. Thank you so much for listening and Gabby for your wonderful question that allowed us to revisit some science and get just hands excited about the opportunity to find happiness and health in movement that brings us joy. Thanks for listening. We love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio. But they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Everything Blog. And I'm at The Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.